Welcome to the Strong Enough Podcast, where we talk about the challenges and celebrate the triumphs of people just like you. I'm your host, Claudia. Today's guest is going to talk about being unfulfilled in the traditional workforce. She decided to go out on her own and now is breaking all the rules in running her own business. Please help me welcome Emily LaPrairie. Emily, it's so great to have you here today. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic, Claudia. How are you? I am well, and I am even better once you came on the screen because I love your hair. It is absolutely gorgeous. Thank you. I'm guessing that that matches your personality, right? Yeah, I would have to say so. Um, Basically, I'm somebody who doesn't like to follow rules. (laughs) I like that. As a rule follower, uh, I appreciate that. Recently, uh, my husband and I were looking at some property and we parked with our realtor in somewhere that you were supposed to pay for parking. And the realtor and my husband were like, oh, you know, we're not going to be in there that long. We don't have to pay. And Girl, it was freaking me out the whole time. I was like, you guys are like really messing with the rule follower side of me here. We did not get tickets, so it was great. But I appreciate someone like yourself who is a little bit more free-flowing than me. Right. Yes. So why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself other than you have gorgeous hair and don't like to follow the rules? Sure. Well, um, I, my name is Emily and I actually am a, I'm a multitude of things. I'm a multi-passionate entrepreneur. I am a business coach, consultant, uh, advocate, and artist. And I also work with careers. Um, so, but I focus mainly on neurodivergent and trauma affected people. Um, And the reason why I do that is because I spent a very, very long time in the workforce, obviously. Um, I I went from from career to career. I was was a server, I was a nurse assistant and a nursing student. Um, I was a bookkeeper, an office manager. I was a karaoke DJ. I was just all these things, right? Um, And in every single position, even if it was a great job, right? Even if I actually really loved the job and the people that I worked with, I eventually hated the job um, because I always felt like my needs had to be sacrificed for the job. And even if they didn't, like I had to get permission to like address my needs, you know? Um, And I just really grew to resent it. And then also because I'm neurodivergent, I have ADHD and I also have CPTSD. Um, My needs are nuanced. They're, they're a little different. And I never felt comfortable talking about that. And I never felt, you know, comfortable actually advocating for myself in the workforce. And so I kept just telling myself, all right, that's fine. You know, we're going to go to school for business. We're going to um, start our own business and we're going to get out of the workforce. I did that back and forth um, about four times and, uh, and I kept crashing and burning and then having to go back to the workforce. Well, because I was still holding on to those neurotypical mindsets about 
how we're supposed to run a business, right? So, I mean, I, yes, I did. I, I have a degree in small business management and entrepreneurship. That degree taught me everything that you're supposed to do if you're following the rules. And so, of course, it didn't work for me, right? So um, it didn't actually start working. My, my journey of entrepreneurship did not start working for me until I stopped following the rules that were so rigidly laid out in all these textbooks and started building my business around me. So, and then as soon as I started doing that, I started talking to more people about it. Um, they started referring to me as a coach. At first I was very, very resistant. I didn't want to be a coach because because everybody is a coach nowadays and, and a lot of them shouldn't really be coaching. And, and I just didn't want to be in that category. Um, but eventually I decided, well, it wasn't me who chose this. Like other people are seeing this in me. So I must, there must be something there. Right. Um, and so I chose to lean into it beginning of this year. I launched my coaching business. That is fantastic. I want to start with the fact that one, that you were a server at one point. And I want to just say, I think everybody should have to do that for, I don't know, six months, two months, a period of time in their lives. Everyone should be a server. I think they will look at life and other servers very differently after that. So thank you for doing that and hopefully not punching customers while you were. Will you talk a little bit about neurodivergent for those who aren't familiar with that term? Absolutely. So neurodivergent just refers to um, a brain that works in a different way than what it's typically supposed to work in. So um, the common neurodivergences are autism, ADHD, dyslexia, dyspraxia, dyscalculia, dysgraphia. Um, Tourette syndrome, syndrome, epilepsy, and those, that, that's where it starts to get a little gray. My interpretation of um, neurodivergence is anything that, that causes your brain to act a little or a lot different, right? And so that would include any kind of nature-related um, differences, such as, you know, major depressive disorder, generalized anxiety disorder, um, anything like that. But then it also includes um, some nurture related, like, like PTSD and CPTSD, um, borderline personality disorder, which is often stemmed from PTSD, is also a form of, of um, neurodivergence in, in my definition of it. The, I think the the actual definition of it does not include all of those things, but there is a vast umbrella of neurodivergence. And there are just some things that are like, are we under the umbrella or are we not? I say they are um, because all of those brains are diverse. And, you know, that's really what, if, if we're being honest, I do believe that everybody does have a little bit of neurodivergence in them, but the ones who embrace it are the ones who are actually neurodivergent whereas the ones that we talk about as neurotypical those are the ones that are masking it right um, and that's not to say that because i know neurodivergent that term actually started out as a term for um autistic inclusivity mm -hmm. 
I'm not saying that everybody has a little bit of autism because that's a really awful thing to say. Um, everybody, everybody's brain works a little bit differently, but the people that insist on forcing their brains to work in the way that the textbooks tell us to, you know, do all the things that they're supposed to do, um, those are our neurotypical people. And, and those neurotypical people are the ones that have built the foundations with which we work and build businesses on. So you mentioned before that being in the traditional workplace, that a lot of times you struggled to request or ask or make sure that your needs were met. Is that something that you dealt with in other aspects of your life as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. Um, there is a lot of guilt and shame around making sure your needs are met around asking for what you need or, or just doing it yourself. You know, there's, especially with women, there's all the martyr complex around like the way we live, you know, when, and when it comes to friendships, romantic relationships, mother, daughter, or like sisters, you know, those kind of uh, relationships, it's, there's just always that, that sort of pull, do you need me to do more? I'm so sorry. Should I, you know, should I have not done that? I don't really need that. We we're never, ever, ever being true to ourselves because we've been taught that we need to always look out for the next person. And what if instead of always looking out for everybody else, we focused on ourselves and everybody else focused on ours and on their selves. And if we truly saw somebody in need, we could help them, but not always anticipating that they need us when they don't. And instead it, tending to our own needs. <laughs> why do we struggle with that? You know, why has that been ingrained in us? And like you said, especially as women, what do you think that comes from in society? I think that it comes from the patriarchy. I really do. Um, and when I say the patriarchy, so when I first started hearing this word, the patriarchy, you know, really thrown about, I automatically thought it sounded like, oh, this is, uh, these are man haters, right? These are people who hate men. Um, and I don't hate men. I love men. I have a son and I have a partner who I'm, I adore. That's not actually what it is. <laughs> and I'm so happy that I now know this. So the patriarchy is, um, is a system, right? That has created roles for each gender, well, for the two genders that they, um, the two traditional gender roles that they accept. Mm -hmm. And one of them is supposed to be strong and silent and the protector and the person who brings home the bacon. And the other one is supposed to be uh, loving and nurturing and baking and crying and all of these things. And when we try when we try to get out of these uh, roles, when we try to kind of branch out, everybody around us goes, oh, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. You have to be, you have to be this. This is your role. Even if they're not saying that, like, they don't have to say this is your role to be like, are you sure you want to do that? Whoa, this is strange. This is, you're always so weird. You know, you're always so quirky. Like you don't act like other girls. You don't act like other women. I will say I do like to bake. So there is that. But um, 
you know, I agree with you. And I wonder sometimes, you know, cause there is such a push lately of self-care and people saying, oh, you have to put your own oxygen mask on before helping others. Is that enough? You know, is, is that enough of telling people to take care of themselves to break down the patriarchy or do we need to be doing more? We can't do it as a, as a separate entity. Like we can't do it singularly. We need to do it as a movement, right? Um, we need to have large corporations and organizations backing this dismantling of this uh, really antiquated system that is holding us all back, right? Um, it's actually part of what I am now focusing on. Although I am a coach for singular people, I'm realizing that my services are actually probably going to be better put to use when I'm talking to companies and corporations, right? So um, for an example, when I was at my last job, which I absolutely loved my last job, by the way, loved everybody that I work with. Um, my, my employer was a wonderful man and I would never want to burn bridge with him, but he was older, he was an older gentleman. Um, and he had certain thoughts, um, about people of different, uh, ethnicities that, as somebody who lives in a multi-race family, um, my, my boyfriend and his daughter are Hispanic. It made me feel very, very uncomfortable um, feeling positive about this man in any way. Like when he would go off about that, but like, I did not feel comfortable talking to him about that. So I would just like rage at the copier and like throw things around, <laughs> throw things around and be like, oh God, I just want to go home today. I just can't and being around him. And so that's an example of like a silent rupture in the workforce. And it's an example of one of the ways that the patriarchy has held certain people down in this sense, his views on that were fueled by the patriarchy's ideas of people of different colors and, and different um, cultures, right? So if the container was set at that office, for me to have a private conversation with him where I said, hey, this is really uncomfortable for me and here's why. Um, is there any way that we can come to some sort of agreement where maybe you don't talk about that stuff at the office? Or is there any way that I can help to clear up some of your confusion on this particular culture? And, but there, there was never that container. So, so I wonder if, if I start helping companies set that container mm -hmm. for uh, problems of race, for problems of gender, for problems of neurodivergence and trauma, what good can I start then, you know? Yeah, I think that's a great way to look at it. And, you know, maybe we just found a new path, you know, for part of your business. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. You know, you said you worked in a lot of different places and you often turn to hate it. Um, even if you love your job, you just ended up not loving it. Was that always because of something within you or were there toxic circumstances? I mean, you just talked about one with the boss. Were there other toxic circumstances in those work environments that were troubling for you? 
Absolutely. Um, I would say there was a toxic environment or experience at every job I've ever had. The only one that it wasn't actually the people I was working with was when I was a crisis office worker at a domestic violence shelter. And then I was just, I mean, I was regularly traumatized by what I saw. <laughs> um, but the people that I worked with were all psychologists, therapists, social workers. They were amazing. They, they were the people that I want to kind of base, you know, mm -hmm. how they treated me is how I kind of want to base this whole consultation idea off of. Um, but anything other than that, absolutely. I've had a lot of really interesting things said to me and thrown my way. Um, one that always sticks out in my mind was I, I had worked for a family restaurant for about three years. Um, and this was when I was younger. I started working for them when I was 18. I got pregnant with my son when I was 20. And I remember them kind of like, kind of joking with me while I was pregnant that like, um, my body wasn't going to be the same. And which is, was inappropriate in itself, but I didn't really, you know, realize that right off the bat. Um, and then, so I had my baby and I came back to work six weeks later and um, I'm in the, the, the thick of postpartum depression and my boss who was a six foot four um darn near 300 pound man comes up to me and he says i thought you said your ass wasn't going to get any bigger after you had the baby emily because it's 10 times the size that it was before and i will never forget that i mean i just like everything stopped everything just like stopped in slow motion i had plates in my hand i set them down and i just walked to the bathroom and i just sobbed just why why would you say that to somebody who just had a baby why would you say that at all right but especially it was almost as if and and i got this feeling a lot working at that particular restaurant that that particular owner you know it was a family owned his dad owned it but like they had a terrible childhood um they were just a very abusive family and um it was almost like he would get bored so he would like flash out verbally abuse somebody yes and i got the brunt of it because i cried a lot because i cried very easily because part of having adhd is being highly sensitive i did not know that until like the last i'd say year and a half i could never understand why i would cry at the drop of a hat that's why I almost, I almost teared up just telling you the story about him talking about my big ass. <laughs> so, yeah. Did you see that behavior? I know you said you took the brunt of it, but did you see it occurring with other people as well? Um, to a certain extent, I, I actually went and worked for this man again. He left his father's restaurant, opened his own restaurant. Um, and I worked for him there too. And there was one girl that was already like when I started working for him was already that person. And like, meanwhile, I should say this too, that this man acted like a big brother to me and like acted like he absolutely adored me. And, um, when I needed a job, I came to him and he hired me on the spot. Like no questions asked, go ahead, start tomorrow. It was like family, but he was awful at the same time. So like, um, 
<clears throat> when I first started working at his new restaurant, there was somebody who was, was already in that position. And then I quickly became that person as well. How hard is that to reconcile for you? Because you said, you know, he was like a big brother, but at the same time, he treated you like shit at times. Mm -hmm. And then with the other employer, the older guy who let's just say was racist and, but otherwise to you was a good guy. How tough was that for you to reconcile those things in your mind with, for these people? By reconcile, do you mean forgive them? just to deal with it, I guess, on the day-to-day? Well, I ended up leaving both jobs. (laughs) I'm not somebody who can forget about something like that. I just, it festers. It festers within me until I am able to do something about it, which nine times out of 10, well, 10 times out of 10 with my jobs was to leave, make a move, leave. So was it frustrating for you when you would make that move and then be in a similar situation yet again? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think what was more frustrating um, was the fact that I would usually make the move on a whim mm-hmm. and then not have another job to back it up, which was why I ended up working at his restaurant in the first place. That was why I ended up working at his second restaurant in the first place was that I quit my job without having a backup and needed a job. And I'm like, oh, he'll hire me. He's going to hire me. And he did. Of course he did. Cause he wants somebody to pick at. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it, it's impossible for me to forget something like that. Honestly, um, my worst experience, my, my absolute worst experience was actually not either of those men, not even close. Um, it was another man, much older gentleman. He was almost 80 uh, and had decided to start a grain trading company, an organic grain trading company. And I had come on as his part-time bookkeeper straight out of college. Um, and that environment was the most toxic environment I have ever worked in. Um, he was regularly gone in Iowa. It was just, I, cause I'm from Michigan. It was mm-hmm. just him, myself, and then the person who he put sort of like in charge, which was, it, she was a former vice president of a large bank in the area. And she left the bank because of uh, issues. I don't, I don't know. And then came to work for him. So she was very, um, she loved control. And so she was used to having a team under her. She just had me. So that was horrible. Um, And I ended up, I was put on medication because like she would just like prod at me until, you know, and uh, gosh, I can't even. Okay. So for example, um, I went to the post office one time and I forgot the address of who I was sending, whatever I was sending to. And so I just gave her a quick text and I said, Hey, can you send me that address? I left it on my desk. So she sent it to me. When I got back, she pulled me into her office for two hours and talked about how I was slipping. She wanted to know what was going on in my life. Something's obviously happening. And like, she made me like make things happen. I was like, yeah, obviously I'm stressed, you know, like I want to be at home. I want to be with my son. I'm, I am, you know, whatever, whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I cried, 
she she kind of leaned back like satisfied and she was like okay that's fine you can and and so I eventually told her okay obviously there's something going on because you said that I was good before and now I'm not good so I'm going to go to the doctor about it I'm going to try to get on some medicine and so I got on some medicine um for like depression and uh, like brain fog basically and it worked for a while until it made me feel like sick to my stomach and so I had to get off of it um so then I go to the doctor and I say, okay, I need to, I need to take, uh, I need to get off of this medicine. It's making me sick. And now I'm like breaking out in a rash on my side because of this medicine. And she looks at it and she goes, actually that's shingles. And I was like, shingles. I'm at this point, I was 28, 29. Um, and she said, you either have an autoimmune disease or you are under extreme stress. And I said, well, I don't have an autoimmune disease. So that was that experience and it only got worse she ended up leaving and so i was given her position um with a two dollar an hour raise i started out making 14 dollars an hour and she was making a salary 50k so they gave me her position plus my position at 16 dollars an hour which is uh i'll do the math for you ladies and gentlemen it is not 50k <laughs> Um, and so I just was given more and more things were put on my plate. I was then the head accountant. I was the head office manager. I was in charge of, um, all the farmers. I was the director of transportation and I was the director of safety. That's all a lot. The, yes. And I had no idea how to do all but two of them. You know, I knew how to run an office and I knew how to do bookkeeping, like, um, so it just kind of, I just kept getting more and more and I finally, um, addressed it and I tried to address it with, you know, the older gentleman and, um, his board, which was all in a different state. You know, I tried to address it with them and it was ignored until we were in, um, a meeting with our other, cause at that point we had other employees. We had one other office worker soon to be two other office workers. And we had a, um, somebody who worked at the railroad because we worked with train loads. And so in front of all these other people, he brings up all of the things that I brought up about my personal discrepancies and then asked them, the other people, if it was an issue for them personally. And they were like, well, no, we don't have these same issues. And then he's like, so then what the hell is your problem? And I was just, I was just dumbfounded. So I, I just, I, can't, I went on working, but that was of course festering, right? That was, that was absolutely festering in me that he called me out and basically said, if other people don't have the same problems as you, then you're lying. You don't have a problem. So I left, I left for work um, or I, I left early one day. It was a Friday and um, I left load paperwork on my desk because I had to, I had a spot where they go before I enter them into the, into the system and then a spot where they go after. Well, these were before, these were before loads. So I left them there, came back on Monday. I did not realize that they were gone. I did not realize that they were gone, but I just, I'm doing my daily position report. I have to find out where every single bushel of corn and wheat is that we own, which is thousands and thousands. And I was coming up short and I couldn't understand why. 
So I, of course, went to him and I accepted full responsibility for it. I said, the daily position report is my responsibility. I'm going to find out where these mission, missing loads are because I, I really don't know what's happening. So I spent two days going over the entire year. It were, this was in May. So I reconciled five months over the course of two days. I had papers stacked this high in front of me, um, just, just kind of like pouring over them. And I finally go to him at close to the end of the second day. And I said, I really have no idea what's going on. I cannot find them. I'm so, so sorry. He said, okay, that's fine. Thank you for checking. I will go ahead and do my best to look at it um, this evening. So the next day he, uh, he calls me and then the other office worker in his office at around noon. And uh, he says, I, I want to teach you both something. This is going to be a lesson in um, paperwork and security. And so I said, okay, he holds up the load papers. He goes, you left these on your desk. So of course I took them and I'm like, wait a second. He goes, so you just left them on your desk. Anybody could have broken into our office in the middle of the night and had all of our information for these loads, which this is just preposterous at this point. I'm like, who is breaking into a grain company to, to steal load paperwork? Come on. You're not a cartel, okay? No. <laughs> and we had like full on security. We had alarm systems. We had cameras. I'm like, why, why would they not be safe on my desk? We're the only people in this office ever. So he then, you know, just proceeds to tell me, you know, how I've screwed up so much and that was one of the times where I didn't just let it fester and then just kind of slowly walk out. Oh no, I lost it. I absolutely lost my ever living shit. I, 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 yeah, <laughs> I made a spectacle of myself and I do not regret it. I do not regret it one bit. And that was the last day I worked for that man. <laughs> I love the fact that you have no regret no, for making nope. a spectacle of yourself. It sounds like it was warranted in that situation. Absolutely. I have done things like that before uh, when I worked in marketing and I would have uh, vehicles, you know, people would be securing vehicles. And if they left the keys somewhere, I would take the keys, but I would not wait three days to let that situation come to fruition it would be like I'd let them stew for like 30 minutes trying to find the keys um so that's a little crazy yeah did you have red flags before kind of the toxicity started at some of these places were, were there any clues that that was going to happen there there was yes um like I knew that this man had a serious issue with security with like like beyond what I had ever experienced. Um, I had to leave early at about two or three o'clock one day to take my son to a doctor's appointment. And then afterwards I was out for dinner with my family and my work phone, uh, rang cause we, I had to have a work line that was ringing at all, all times of the day. And, um, it was him and he screamed at me because I forgot to lock the filing cabinet, like screamed at me. He knew I was in the middle of a dinner with my family. And he just started berating me over the phone and said that I, he doesn't know if I'm worth management because I can't even remember to lock a filing cabinet. 
and th this was months before that, but yeah, it had definitely like red flags. If I'm being honest, red flags showed up the first week with the woman, but like, I didn't really know much about him until, you know, a little bit later on. But I remember one of my first interactions with him was over the phone. Um, and I had made a mistake on a load. I, I had just started doing all these uh, load documents, like filling them out. And um, it was a, you know, a copy and I just had to change the information each time. It's logistics, right? And um, I forgot to change something. I think I, it was supposed to be from uh, a certain amount of corn to a certain amount of wheat. Um, I, I think I used like the corn document for wheat. And I mean, we're talking, I'm still in my first month, right? And so it's, I mean, it's nobody at the farm was worried. They were like, oh, it's no big deal, right? You, you're, you're new, right? You can fix it, it's fine. Um, so she calls him on the phone and he's talking to me and I try to explain, you know, like, I'm really sorry. It won't happen again. I just, and he cuts me off and says, I don't want to hear your sorries. Just don't have it happen. Don't let it happen again. That's all I want to hear is that it won't happen again. I don't want to hear sorries. And he like snapped at me, raised his voice and snapped at me. And, and I remember just like physically recoiling, like, well, that escalated quickly. Why are you yelling at me? Like I, and I got off the phone and she was like, oh, he's under a lot of pressure. He's, you know, that's how they used to do things back in the day. He's an older gentleman. I'm like, okay. <laughs> if it you seems, say so. Yeah. It seems a little extreme mm -hmm. for a tiny paperwork mishap. Yeah. What in you made you the type of person that doesn't follow the rules? I really don't know. That's an interesting question. Um, I mean, I used to always follow the rules. I think, I think I snapped to be honest. <laughs> is that, is that what's coming for me one day? I'm just going to snap. So. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it does. I hope it does. It's real fun over here on this side. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I would, I think I was, um, when I followed the rules, I was masking and I was just trying to fit in and mirror everybody else. And then I would get burnt down on that. And then I would just stop, which was, I, I mean, I, regularly in school, I would go from having straight A's to failing just back and forth, back and forth. I mean, I almost didn't graduate because I skipped like 47 days of my senior year, but my junior year, I had straight A's. So, um, I, I would do everything I was supposed to do and then I would get burnout and then I would just say, fuck it all and not do any of it. And, um, as fun as that was, it was also like really traumatic to me to kind of be flopping back and forth all the time. And then nobody believed in me. And, you know, I had a lot of things going on there. I wasn't able to keep relationships long, extended relationships. Um, and so eventually <clears throat> I just, I realized, and actually I attribute a lot of this to my partner who I've been with for 10 years. I was still in that cycle when we got together. Um, and he was the first person that I've ever met that made me feel like it was okay to be me. It was okay to be me. And every time I have 
some crazy idea. Like, I mean, I, I have so many business ideas that I write them down in a little notebook and it's like, it's getting pretty full. Um, <laughs> I mean, I currently have three like sort of active businesses right now. Every time I come up with an idea, he's just like, that's great, babe. That's a great idea. It's never, how are you going to do that? I don't think it's going to work. I think it's stupid. Never, never. And so I think that that has helped a lot with um, me coming out of my shell and realizing, hey, not only is it okay to be me, but it's actually preferable, you know? Um, and, and me doesn't, doesn't I, if I'm being my true authentic self, then I'm not following all the rules because the rules don't feel authentic to me. They don't, they just don't. And, but now it's like, I don't go from following all of them to following none of them. I follow the ones that feel good for me. If I were to go back to school now, like when I was in college, I was, I, I graduated with high honors because I love school. I love learning. If I hated it, I wouldn't have even gone, you know, I wouldn't have even gone. Whereas in high school, it's like, I was just doing anything to feel, I don't know, to feel free, mm -hmm. which was not doing my homework, not going to school, not giving a damn, you know? So I'm a little bit more balanced now. I don't know if that answered your question. <laughs> it did. Okay. So many people struggle with being their authentic selves. You know, they feel like they're not good enough. People will judge them. People will think crazy things about them, talk behind their back. How empowering is it to be able to be you in all your glory? It's incredibly empowering. And to release that, that fear of being talked about, of being looked at as weird or, you know, different of being outcast is just, un it's, it's like a weight has been lifted off of my shoulders and the way that I live now, I mean, I was a shell of a person before, and now I'm actually like, I'm a real whole person. I, I love every day, you know? Um, and if you can say, that you're living the life, you're living your best life right now while adhering to society's demands, good for you. You're probably not being entirely honest with yourself and that's fine. It, you know, you find that out on your own time. Um, <clears throat> but if you can look at yourself and say, you know what, I'm not actually comfortable with this. I, I implore you to give it a try. Just do something today that screams you, that doesn't, that doesn't have anything to do with anybody else. Sing from the top of your lungs, sing in falsetto instead of talking. I do that all the time. My family loves it. Just kidding. <laughs> like just do anything, anything, go for a walk, go spinning, you know, go bake your, if you, if you like to bake, if you like to bake, go bake your neighbor a loaf of bread. You know, if you hate baking, do something else, right? Do something that speaks to you. You know, when you wake up in the morning, <clears throat> think to yourself without any constructs, without the, the thought of time, money, obligations, responsibilities. Second, you open your eyes. What do I want to do today? Do that thing. Do it. 
I love it. And we're going to make that a challenge for everybody watching and listening. A couple of weeks ago, we did another challenge about complimenting somebody, or as I say, complimenting. Uh, so this week, your challenge is to wake up and do something outside of your comfort zone, but that is authentically you. Don't yeah. get arrested. We are not telling <laughs> you. We are not telling you to do things yeah. necessarily are against the law but you can break no streaking, no looting. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Love the parameters. How tough was it for you to get to that point of saying, you know what? I'm me. This is who I am. If you don't like it, tough shit. It was very, very difficult. Um, it took me, I mean, my entire life until the last, I would say like two years, I really started to kind of own it, but the, it wasn't a linear journey. Um, it, it wasn't just from point A to point B. I was thrown back several times. It's okay to be me. No, it's not. It's, it's okay to be me. I don't think it is. It might be okay. Nope, definitely not. And so, um, and I still do experience that some days. I really honestly do still experience that some days, but I'm now so comfortable with myself that I can. Um, identify when those feelings are happening. And I, I sit with them, you know, I sit with them, maybe I'll journal or I'll talk to my partner or I'll talk to some of my friends. Um, and then the next day, I don't give myself any more than a day. The next day I'm back at it. I'm back to myself. Like, okay, that was a great day where I just sat and watched Netflix and cried and ate a shit ton of carbs. But today, today we're going to work. So I also love carbs. So that's fantastic. You said you went through a couple cycles, um, when kind of starting your own business and it wasn't until you realized that like, Hey, I don't have to follow the rules. I need to do this my way. It took until then until you were successful. So how was that progression for you to go through kind of those waves of like, I'm doing this. Nope. It's not doing what I needed it to, to get to the point where you're like, wait, this is how I need to do it. And now you found success. Well, <clears throat> there's, there's many different parts to that. There's many different moving parts. So not only was I not not only was I not uh, structuring my business in the way that would be best for me, but I also wasn't doing the businesses that were best for me. Um, so my first business was a jewelry making business, which was fun. But if I'm being 1000% honest, I started that business out of spite. Don't ever start a business out of spite, people. It's not good. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so I enjoyed it. But I did not really have any idea how to sell anything. Mm -hmm. um, and therefore, I, regular, I, I very irregularly sold. I, I was not sustainable at all. And so eventually I gave that up. And I did end up, I started a jewelry making supply business after that. Um, because I was actually working for a woman who owned a huge inventory of jewelry making supplies and she was retiring. So she sold it to my partner and I at a fraction of the cost. So I basically like overnight had a jewelry supply making business. And when I put forth the effort into that, it actually did really, really well. I did not want to. 
it was not fun. <laughs> All the teeny tiny little things like taking pictures of them and then making sure that the lighting was good and then putting them up with the listing just over and over and over again. Repetitive jobs are not great for people with ADHD. Mm -hmm. And they're just really not like I was so bored, unbelievably bored. It was like pulling teeth. Um, so I eventually finished that up. I sold it. Like I, I got to the point where um, early last year, I was just like, all right, these beads are usually $20. They're yours for three bucks. Come get them. Come, come on. <laughs> it's just like, let's get rid of this. Um, so got rid of that business, uh, sold that off. And then I started a bookkeeping business because I was, you know, into mm -hmm. the bookkeeping. Um, I started bookkeeping because I took accounting 111 in college and I got 102% in the class. And I was like, oh, look, something I'm good at. I'm going to do this. <laughs> so, and then, you know, I, I did bookkeeping for a couple of different companies, the grain trading company and then my, my last job. Um, and at my last job, my employer loved me and I did really, really well. And he was always complimenting me, which kind of brought up my confidence level so that when I went to go leave, I was like, okay, I can do a bookkeeping business. <clears throat> um, and here's the thing. I like the daily ins and outs of bookkeeping, but I don't like cleanups. I don't, I don't like, I don't like big uh, projects that there's a lot of unknowns, right? I like it when systems are already in place and then I'll just like do the work. And I also don't like talking to the clients and like chasing after them for mm -hmm. information all the time, which those two things that I don't like were 90% of my business. And I was just like, oh God, this is terrible. What? This is terrible. So right around that time um, that I was realizing maybe I don't want to do this. Um, I actually had a mental breakdown on August 31st, August 30th, August 31st ish of 2021. Um, and so after that breakdown, it was, it was pretty bad. It was, um, yeah, it was, it was pretty bad. I, it was rough. I had a really, really hard time going back into my bookkeeping business. Um, I couldn't market myself anymore as a bookkeeper. It just didn't feel right. It, it just did not feel right. I finished, you know, work. I, I continued to work for my current clients, but I told them all. And luckily I had been taught to find ideal clients. So I didn't have people that were like, well, this is ridiculous. You need to work. No, no. I had all, all women clients who were like, absolutely, honey, you do you, if you need me, you just let me know. And I was like, thank God. So I took, you know, about two weeks off and, um, and I came back and I continued to work, but I still couldn't market, still couldn't market. And that was around the time that I started talking to, like, I started figuring out what I wanted to do. Um, I started like looking into myself, looking into my personalities. Um, I, I started going to counseling, getting diagnosed with the CPTSD and the ADHD, which I was diagnosed as a child with ADHD, but then it was kind of ignored for decades. So, um, so once I really started working on myself and figuring out who I am and what I want to do and how I can do it in the best way for me, then I started talking to other people about it. And that was when people started referring to me as a coach. So then comes business number four, the coaching business. And how? I forgot your question, but I hope I answered it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you did. Okay. How, how great does it feel now to be in this coaching business and to be and feel free and to be you 
and to be successful with all of that? So it feels wonderful to be free and to be me. It feels wonderful to be able to split my attention on um, people and art, right? And it, my coaching, my coaching business does not feel wonderful right now. If I'm being 100% honest, which I tend to try to be, doesn't feel 100% great right now because I am running into a roadblock here. So I have had several clients. Um, they have been happy with my, with my work, but I've got to the point where what I was charging wasn't sustainable for me. So I had to move it up a little bit and I'm not talking a lot. I mean, I'm talking like I have a super high touch, um, two to three sessions, two and a half to three hours each program, which also includes a written PDF summary and a, and an audible PDF summary, because I try to be as, you know, accommodating to everybody as possible. And then it also comes with a one hour follow-up. So we're talking anywhere between six to 10 hours of one-on-one -on -one time, plus a PDF summary and an audible summary for $9.99. Like it's super, super inexpensive, mm -hmm. especially in the coaching realm. Some people would charge like 10 K for that. And mm -hmm. I'm like, there's no way I could do that. Um, so, but what the problem that I'm having is that the people that I'm trying to help are people that can't afford that. They, they can't even afford half of it. You know, it's not that they don't see the value. It's that they're like, you don't understand. I've struggled my entire life. I don't have savings. I don't have a thousand dollars in the bank. I don't have a credit card. I don't have these things. And not that I would want anybody to go into credit card debt to, to uh, hire me anyways. But what I'm seeing is that I saw a need. I tried to meet it in this way and it's not working out the way I thought, but that's okay, right? Because that's when the consulting idea comes into place. I do not want to burden any neurodivergent or trauma-affected people. They have already been struggling. I know that struggle, and I don't want to put them through that. But businesses, not only can they afford it, they need it. And, and when we start with the businesses, like we were talking about earlier, we can have a trickle-down effect. Instead of helping one person at a time, we can help a whole, a whole community of people at a time, right? And even if like I was talking with a friend about this before I jumped on here and she's like, you have to be comfortable with the fact that these businesses will likely hire you for something and then not implement 99% of what you tell them to do. And I said, that's okay. You want to know why? Because even if they're not going to be listening to me, the employees are, and they're going to go, oh, this is how I'm supposed to be treated. Okay. Right. So, so to answer your question, feeling Feeling authentically me feels amazing. And because I'm authentically me, I can see that this isn't working in the way that I wanted to. So I need to go back to the drawing board. And I think that that's amazing. I think that that's fantastic that I have the foresight to look into, you know, my business and see, you know what, we're going to just shift a little bit, right? We're going to do a little pivot. We always got to do a little pivot. That's, mm -hmm. that's what life is about. Yeah. What advice would you give to somebody who is thinking about starting their own business? Okay. Um, so if you're thinking about starting your own business, I would say, what are you going, what are you, what are you looking to do and why? Right. 
Are you looking to do something that you really, really love? Are you looking to do something to make money? If you're looking to do something to make money, I wouldn't do it, especially if you are a neurodivergent or trauma affected person, because it's going to just, you might start off great. It's going to tax you. You're not going to enjoy it, right? Um, once you get into like what it is you actually want to do, or at least like the area that you want to work in, do you have startup? Do you have, do you have starting capital? If you don't, don't start with a product, start with a service, right? Services have a lot less overhead. They are a lot easier to get going. And then once you make a little bit of money, you can put that towards a product-based business if you, if that's what you choose, right? Um, the biggest thing is to really release any guilt or shame, number one, that you have around having accommodations and then give yourself those accommodations. You are your own boss, right? Like the, the powers in your hands to do how, like whatever you wanna do, however you wanna do it. If you're a service provider, if you're a coach and you don't wanna do one-on-one -on -one Zoom calls, don't do them. Do Voxer or, you know, do in-person or do something else, something else, right? There's so many different ideas. Like if you're an artist and you don't wanna do commissions because they make you sweat, girl, I feel you, right? They make me sweat too. Don't do them. Just don't. Don't listen to people who say you have to do them. No, you don't. You do what makes you feel comfortable and you stay within that. You are the boss. Yes. <laughs> yes. All right, Emily, we are going to take a quick turn here before I let you go. We're going to talk about tattoos uh you can't see any of my tattoos because i'm actually in a hoodie today even though it's may um but i love tattoos and i think tattoos tell an amazing story i know you have a couple tattoos so i would like to hear a little bit about your current tattoos okay so um i have i have a butterfly on my shoulder and that one was was it my, yeah, it was my first, that was my first tattoo. I got it when I was 19 with my then best friend. Um, we are now no longer on speaking terms um, as of actually fairly recently within the last year. So I would actually like to do something with that. Um, but I mean, it, it's fine the way it is, but it's just a little purple and white butterfly. And um then on my lower back, I have the, the good old tramp stamp that people thought was such a good idea to get so many years ago. Why did we think that? I don't know, <laughs> but it's, it's angel wings because my nickname in, in, in high school was angel. Um, and so I would really like to get like a huge back piece and like mm -hmm. get that covered up, get the butterfly, like incorporated into like a forest scene. I think it would be wonderful but you know, it's in the future for sure. What else is in the future tattoo wise? So I have one that I'm getting in less than a month. Um, and it's called, and I believe I'm saying this right. It's called an unalom, which is a, um, it's a symbol for the journey to enlightenment. Um, and it's a symbol that's used in Buddhism and Hinduism. And so it's, it's very, very simple, but it's, Basically it shows, um, see if I can sort of, so it shows 
chaos at the beginning. So it's a line that kind of goes like this and then it goes like this, right? Mm -hmm. and, it and this is where you're like struggling in life. And then it shows a straight line. And that's when you've like, you're actually kind of starting to figure things out. And then it shows like three dots at the top, mm -hmm. which is enlightenment, right? And then at the very, very top, there is a lotus flower. So I, I mean, I think, I think it's gonna, I think it's gonna be really good. And I'm gonna get it right here. And there is um, rules that go along with having this because it is, it's a sacred symbol. Mm -hmm. um, so I can't have it below my, I think I can't have it below my hips. Mm -hmm. I think is what it was. I'm not supposed to have it anywhere near my chest. So that's why I chose my arm. And you're also not supposed to put it pointing down. So if you like look up on Pinterest, it looks prettier going mm -hmm. the other way, but that's actually extremely offensive to those cultures. So I will not be doing that. <laughs> I I'm pretty sure as you were describing it, I have definitely seen it before. So I think, I think mm -hmm. that's very cool. How does it feel that you have to incorporate these rules into your tattoo? So I think that I, I don't mind that at all. I don't mind that at all because I don't want to be somebody who is culturally offensive to people mm -hmm. that, um, I mean, I'm a white woman living in America, you know, what kind of person would I be? I, I guess when it comes to those rules, I'm, I'm more interested in ignoring the rules that say, don't have any rules about that, I guess, it, mm -hmm. which is kind of, it's not really a rule, but I mean, I think, you know, there's a big portion of our country that's like, oh, everybody's too offended nowadays. Just do whatever the hell you want. I think that's extremely offensive. <laughs> Um, and so that's not so much, um, I don't see it as a rule. I see it as more of a, more of a personal, um, I don't know, just like something that I uphold in myself personally mm -hmm. and just not be an asshole, I guess. I, that's a great <laughs> rule right there. Just don't yeah. be an asshole. Just yeah. Don't be an asshole. <laughs> Yeah. Emily, where can people find you? So if they want to talk to you about your coaching, if they want to talk to you about how to get amazing mermaid hair, where can people find you? Sure. I am on Facebook almost exclusively. Um, I have a business page, Emily LaPrairie coaching. I also have a business page, the Bohemian braider, cause I'm a braider. Um, and then I have a business page, Imagination by M, which is where I showcase some of my art. I'm actually just reviving that one. <laughs> um, and then I have a group on Facebook called Neurodivergent and Trauma Affected Entrepreneurs. I am also on TikTok and Patreon as the tag Embrace Diverse Thought. Excellent. Emily, thank you so much for sharing with us today. I really appreciate your opening up and giving some great advice on business and just on life in general. So thank you. Well, thank you so much for having me, Claudia. It was wonderful talking to you. I hope you guys enjoyed my conversation with Emily as much as I did. I truly appreciate her sharing how important it is that you feel fulfilled in your work environment. And it's important that we stand up for ourselves and make sure that our own needs are met. So remember, until next week, you are strong enough and you are worth it.
Thank you for listening to the Strong Enough Podcast. You can find us on your favorite podcast platform by searching Strong Enough. And on YouTube, we're on the Spear Talk channel. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Strong Enough Pod. If you have suggestions for an upcoming episode or a future guest, please reach out at strongenoughpod at gmail.com. Remember, you are worth it.